0: Hey, this is Bob Lee, and you're listening to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, the world's game from an American perspective.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn alongside media executive Grail Hallett and Syria-ah specialist and OTB pro- producer. I almost couldn't get that out because I, I, get, I get tongue-tied when I talk about Sam, the young and talented Sam Griswold. OTB is coming to you today from uh, inside a snowbank as the East Coast gets walloped. And walloped with this huge snowstorm, Um, so like there weren't enough things to be going on in (laughs) the country right now. Just just add a snowstorm to us, my God! But uh, I'm really looking forward to today's guest, guys. Uh, He's all of our favorite, one of our favorite uh, guests we we have occasionally here. It's Paul Carr. Uh, my former colleague, it's at ESPN, and uh, just a stat guru, a, a big, huge soccer aficionado. And I love when these numbers guys, these these kind of guys who drill down into sports knowledge. I love when they're soccer fans because we don't have enough of them in that uh, in that business. Too many in baseball, maybe. Grail, I know you're a big baseball guy, but you know now we got a soccer. Too many
2: fan. stats, <laughs> and I think
1: yeah, yeah. So it was really it'll be fun to talk to Paul and get caught up with him and see how he's doing. Uh, we're also going to talk, of course, about MLS Cup as the crew take the crown it's a real feel-good story of sort of a phoenix rising from the ashes story Uh, a big win for a new slash old franchise is a uh, continued success under their uh the crew skipper caleb porter
3: all right but first up guys what are you over today on over the ball sam So I'm over coaches basically coming out after games and saying the best team did not win. Oh, Um, Marino! Oh,
2: my God. It's funny. He stole my thunder. You got your your complaints, I swear to God.
3: I'll leave, I'll leave you Mourinho because I didn't see that game. But I, but I saw the headlines. Um, I'm going to focus more on Antonio Conte at Inter. He's uh, famous for saying that. But um, my main point is unless you're, you know, complaining about a refereeing decision, Mm -hmm. basically it's a failure on your part as a coach and on your team. If the best team did not win, you failed to capitalize on the fact that you were the best team. And I, I, I don't know. I just think it's a, a pointless thing to say after losing a game. And and the other thing I'll say is that, um, it, you know, I, I know everyone wants to like grow their brand and be this like fun to watch team and say like, you know, well, the better team, we played better soccer, whatever, you know, I, I don't know. Winning still matters uh, in my opinion. <laughs> it's and,
2: all that uh, matters
3: <laughs> to some people and, you know, fans that maybe were not in the stadium right now, but
2: uh, you know what I'm saying? So yeah, that's no, all right. I got. Grail. Well, Sam, Sam and I clearly did a total mind meld before this show because not only did we have the same notes that we usually share the night before the show, but we don't usually disclose what, what we're over until we do it on the show. But I will just I will dig a little bit deeper into the Jose Mourinho part of this, which is first of all, I find it such sour grapes. For him to go up to Klopp, and by the way, it was caught on camera. He went up to Klopp at the end of the match and said to him, "The better team lost." And Klopp, you could see, kind of like moved back right. and said, "Pardon me." And he goes, "The better," and then Klopp kind of laughed it off or whatever. But in the post-game interview, Jose doubled down and said, uh, "You know, of course we, you know, we we create more of the chances. We, uh, you know, and somebody pointed out that Liverpool had seventy-six percent of the possession." which Jose Mourinho just dismissed completely because right. they had the chances. Now, I'm going to just boil it down to this. The team that takes advantage of their chances and wins deserves to win. I don't care about any of the other. I don't care if you play the best style in the world ever. If you can't score more goals than the other team, you're not the better team. So yeah, forget I- it.
1: I don't know what game he was watching though, because all the announcers. I mean, Liverpool was the better side. Well, I, I also
3: but, think, like you know, does the goalkeeper not count as a player? I mean, you know, you see a team yeah. dominate and the goalie makes ten great saves, and they say we were the better team, we deserve to win. Like, sorry, that goalie's also a player on the other team. Exactly, who had a fantastic game. I
2: mean, well, David De Gea, in you know, in his prime, three four years ago, was say was winning games for Man United. Mm -hmm. with his saves right so he he was a difference maker but I I totally agree with you and again I just find it maddening and and to me it's such a bad example for kids where you have a high profile manager coming out there and basically whining and not accepting defeat he lost they lost they had two or three really good chances that they didn't take but guess what they didn't take them so they didn't deserve to win Look!
1: Look! Tiger doesn't <laughs> change its stripes, and, and you know every time I think Mourinho is going to be different, uh, he he's not, and he's very temperamental, and he you know he does that, and so it's it's he's actually he had a good run right now. But I, you know, he's got that one year there, so it's it's his three years that uh, he really when he burns because he basically yeah, it's does this. Third year, he does something like this over and over, so uh, it, it's annoying uh, him. And you almost knew the way they lost. It was a tough loss. It's one of the ones you, you probably shouldn't just, – you just say to yourself, don't say anything stupid after the game because
2: you're pissed, right? You've lost. And well, you're... in the 62nd minute, they had a chance to go ahead 2-1, and, and Berwine missed, missed the chance. So, you know, right. part of the game.
1: He missed two. God, but he didn't yes. get through. So, all right, so what I'm over is I'm over the snow. So, uh, <laughs> over, over the ball, we'll be moving to the West coast <laughs> after the holidays. So that will be our new, our new, uh, bunker location.
2: Doing Palm trees uh, in behind uh, Flinny, Cement pond. And, uh, <laughs> so, uh, all
1: right. So guys, MLS cup, uh, was, uh, was interesting to watch. Boy, I thought. Columbus would come out a bit on their heels. Uh, they didn't have Darlington Nagby, Nagby and Pedro Santos, two of their best players, I mean, for MLS Cup. And, and here they they came out and they pressed. They yeah. pressed hard. And, uh, you know, they went on to a 3-0 victory in, a, in the most lopsided result in MLS's 25 years. Grail, what would you think? Hey,
2: well, I thought Caleb Porter used that to his advantage masterfully. You know, mm. just uh, not having Nagby and Santos – he kind of played the underdog and who doesn't love playing the underdog because he lower expectations and right. they, they just came out and they ran him over. And uh, yeah, I mean, three nil is a pretty demonstrative win. Um, and uh, they were just better. They were better in yeah. every, all facets of the game.
1: And it was against the Sounders who were not really just any opponent. They're no. the perennial favorites for the championship. Um, two of the last four previous seasons they're playing their fourth final in the past five years. So um so quite a surprise. And and it happened right away. So then you think about, you know, you, Grail, I know we've talked a little bit off air about
2: uh, Caleb Porter's interview after. Uh he's he's kind of a prickly sort, isn't he? Yeah, well he's he's definitely got a chip on his shoulder and um yeah, he was he he it wasn't like he was arguing with Alexi and Stu Holden, but he was clearly he wanted to get the point across that there were naysayers and that they, you know, and they were, they were wrong. And, uh, and, and just, he's a proud guy, obviously very proud. And, and it was a, an amazing accomplishment. Look, they we had were, Dave right
1: on last week talking about how competitive Caleb Porter was in college. And so that translates yeah. as a, as a, as a coach. So, and we've had him on this show before um, Caleb, uh, you know, and I, I followed his career back through Akron. Yeah, you know, he produced some really really good teams there but yeah he was given an interesting look he won in portland you know he already has an mls cup so he uh, is a proven winner so he's moving up the the pecking order of uh of mls coaches he's uh yeah. got quite the track record so but uh, if you think about it though what a great story it was because two years ago the crew's future was was in doubt uh, the owner anthony precourt uh you know, he wanted to move the team to Austin. And at the time, Burhalter was the technical director and the coach and then departs for U.S. national team. I mean, wow. I mean, you think yeah. about being saved from the ashes. Uh, you know, you got to give your props, not only to Caleb Porter and the players and the guys on the bench who stepped up when, when two of their best players were taken out, but also the fans of Columbus who just worked their asses off.
2: Uh, well, and they got more invested. Yeah, they got more investment. I think the Haslam brothers, the guys who are invested in the Browns, right. came on board. They've got a new stadium that's uh, that they're going to go into next season in downtown Columbus. Uh, it's great. I mean, what better way to be entering a new season when a new stadium with an MLS Cup? I mean, you couldn't script it any better. And I got to give props too to uh, a guy who's been
1: a guest on this show before, uh, Tim Bezbachenko. He uh, was the president and general manager of of Columbus um, but he also helped build Toronto FC into an MLS power uh, took over for Columbus you know a, a blank slate hires uh, Caleb Porter and uh, and they win and I got to say Be- Bezvichenko played for my college coach I think he was the UMass coach, Jeff Gettler, before you got there, Sam. But uh, but Tim's done a great job. Now, success has followed him as well, which says what, guys? Here we talk about the people of, of Columbus, about Caleb Porter, about Dismachenko, about the guys coming off the bench. It's a team effort, and yeah. um, and they certainly – they certainly, um, they certainly pulled it off. So uh, I'm interested to see. i got to talk to Caleb again. I forgot. I haven't had him on the show in maybe two years. But he grew up in Kalamazoo, Michigan, which is where I played indoor for a couple of years. So I wonder if he ever went to the games as a young man because I'm an old man.
2: So he um, went to watch – Kevin Flynn in his very tight shorts,
1: in very, very tight. shorts. <laughs> exactly. We had no choice back then. We're, uh, we're trying to sell tickets or not sell tickets as it were. So <laughs> hey, so um, I wanted to ask you about this grail because, uh, the television numbers, uh, up 20%. What did he read into that? Have yeah, you- they
2: were, they were really good. Uh, you know, I don't know if it's a function of, I think there were supposed to be a Ohio state. Was that the Ohio state Michigan game? I think was supposed to take place. Yeah. earlier That day on Fox, it was a Fox broadcast. Yeah. So the combined bu- uh, the combined viewership between Fox and Unimas uh, was up twenty percent. Um, the Fox's rating uh, or audience versus ABC a year ago, just uh, network to network, was up thirty percent, and it was the third most view, most viewed MLS Cup on uh, English language in English language since two thousand ten. So great. I mean, uh, you know. Yeah. Great stuff for MLS. What a what a wonderful kind of fireworks display to end the season with ratings like that. Really, w- really well done.
1: That's so here's some good news. Uh, sorry, here's some bad news for U.S. Soccer, uh, but I guess understandable. Maybe you could break this down for a little a uh, little bit for us. Grail U.S. Soccer. And um, you know, we we had Dave on last uh, Dave yeah. on last week, Chief Marketing Officer for U.S. Soccer. He just steps in a month ago. Um, audit shows a deficit of twenty eight million dollars in twenty twenty and MLS lost over a billion this year so big challenges ahead of- well
2: you know it's just to me it's just emblematic of what you know just take it even out of the sports world what every business has yeah done i mean other uh, other than maybe you know you know google and uh you know maybe facebook and microsoft you know they apple there are a handful of companies that actually did okay peloton did well actually because of this but uh, most businesses and most sports franchises just took it on the chin right and uh you know it's gonna be it's it's a mountain to climb in 2021 no doubt
1: i have a friend who i went to high school with who sold masks and gloves and i and he's made a nice living but i made fun of him forever you know and now he's just killing it. So, oh, certain yeah. people are, are doing well. Um, talking about the U.S. men's national team, just on a positive note, you know, it's getting harder and harder to keep track of all the U.S. players playing abroad. But it was nice to see um, the U.S. national team player Owen uh, Tassawi jump in, um, make his Premier League debut for the Wolves against, oh, I'm sorry to bring it up, but Chelsea. Uh, <laughs> you, you're, you're Chelsea boys. I so
3: think anyway. we have to establish one thing here. I haven't jumped in a little bit, but it's yeah. just Wolves. The same yeah. way it's just Spurs. There's it's no Wolverhampton
2: Wanderers, a.k.a. Wolves. What did I say? The Wolves.
3: The Wolves. Oh, the Wolves.
1: Like oh, the I
2: mean. MLS. like. Now that's the, the American
1: <laughs> way of doing uh, uh, Apparently, Derby, Derby. Yeah. Um, so anyway, it was nice to see him make his debut there. I like watching Wolves play. Um, more than one Wolf. The Wolves? No? Apparently <laughs> not. How I mean, about not- the Chelsea? How, how about the <laughs> So, hey your boys Giroux, man uh he always gets his head on the end of a ball, but uh um you know couldn't pull it off to, to even things up well, they him.
2: got beaten on the you know they got beaten on the fast break, which is exactly what wolves will do that's their whole m o and uh right. you know although Giroux did score an incredible goal, even though it like really the keeper, nice. it was at the near post, but it was such an amazing strike off. He got I his mean,
1: foot on it man.
2: Right. I mean, you, you know, the three of us would look at it and say, how do you even get like laces on that ball and, and hit it with some force to the near post. But yeah, they've, they've been on, I mean the, the season, the EPL season is just so unpredictable. You know, last weekend, Liverpool, Spurs, and Chelsea all dropped points um, to, you know, to, and, and then, uh, you you know, Liverpool dropping points to Fulham of all people who are trying to climb out of the the hole that they dug yeah. for themselves and Man City drawing against West Brom. I just, again, I think 80, I think 85 points. My prediction is 85 points is going to win the premier league this year versus a hundred ninety nine a hundred the last couple of seasons. Yeah, it makes it more fun. Uh, I think. It does make it more fun, yeah. you know, just like little spurts of good play and then people going backwards, even Liverpool, you know, they're now three points clear, but even they have gone through their, you know, little patches of, of bad play and dropping points to a Fulham, you know, I mean, you just wouldn't ever right. imagine that from a Liverpool.
1: And Slavin Bilic is out as uh, the head coach of West Brom. You kind of Sam saw
2: Allardyce it. is coming back. Oh Can you believe God. it? He's like, you know, I was trying to think of the American equivalent. I guess it'd be like Billy Martin or it'd be like uh, Dick Mata, who was an NBA coach. I don't know if you, rem- yeah, you guys yeah, remember sure. him, but he was one of those guys who just kept resurfacing. Like somebody would get fired and Sam Allardyce hasn't coached or managed since 2018. I, I call him the um, relegation avoidance specialist, because that's what he is. He was brought in by Sunderland years ago. He's brought right. in by West Ham. And to his credit, he has managed, more often than not to spare people from relegation, but he's got an 18-month contract, and
1: uh, oh my goodness, here we,
2: here we go again.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, uh, you know, and, and he was involved in some corruption stuff too as well. But uh, so anyway, we'll see. We'll keep an eye. We've seen it before. We'll see it again. Love the English you know, Bob Bradley gets four games in the Premier League. You know, a guy who's coached at international level has been successful everywhere he's gone. They give him four games. So that yeah. still annoys me. Uh, Liverpool bounced back against um, Spurs.
2: That was a hell Talked of a match. Talked about that a little bit. But, I, I, I've got to know. tell you, that was, just, that was just such a good game because it was two clashes of style, right? It was, yeah. you know, uh, Mourinho has Spurs playing uh, Mourinho-type football, which is just like a lot of defending – and looking for the fast break, which they got on Son's goal. And, uh, again, Liverpool is playing their style, and they ended up winning on an amazing Firmino header.
1: And, you you know, know, I'm I'm so happy for Firmino because he has has so many near misses, but he does so many things uh, with the ball for others that um, it really opens up that offense. That creates width. You know, he um, he maintains possession so well, plays with his back. You know, he's good in the he air. He opens
2: it all up, plenty I yeah. mean, he honestly, it's the dirty work. He's making the runs that are opening up the space for Salah and Mane. Right. You know. And, and you don't get credit for that because it doesn't appear on the score sheet.
1: And just holds up the ball with such flair. I just yeah. love to watch him play. Great so, player. Um, one thing I want to talk about real quickly, guys, uh, the Premier League is going to have a new uh, concussion protocol. Um, who wants to talk about that?
3: Yeah, I'll, I'll jump in. the uh, The IFAB, the International Football Association Board, announced I think just yesterday that they were going to let leagues, you know, run these trials essentially on using an extra substitution for head injuries, which has been something that's been talked about for a while. Yeah. And uh, immediately, the Premier League has said it's going to try to roll this out um, in January. So we'll see how it's going to be used exactly how it's going to work in other leagues also. But I mean, the, the basic idea is even if you've used all three or five substitutions um, you can use an extra substitution for a player with a head injury. So still some stuff to be ironed out, but I think, you know, progress and, Long overdue. Yeah. Sam,
2: I, I Sam, I think it's awesome and, and this whole conspiracy theory that coaches are gonna use it to their advantage to feign head injuries to make subs. I'm like
1: mean the system? I'm
2: I'm like, okay, I suppose that is a possibility, but how about just the greater good, which is making sure we get players off the pitch and don't penalize them for actually, you know, self imposing some safety on themselves.
1: Yeah but you know some sort of repercussions for things if 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 it is abused you know I mean you have HIPAA laws and all kinds of things where you know doctors are going to be there and they have to make a you know, that's their medical license to make a diagnosis.
3: If they misdiagnose or or give a false diagnosis, I mean, you could you know, yeah. there could be a lot of trouble. There's I don't t- think it's too hard. I mean, doesn't the, the NFL has independent spotters right on the sideline? Yeah. I mean, and that's hard because you know every play guys are banging heads. But I mean, yeah. in soccer it, do, it doesn't happen that frequently. I think I think they and should they've be able done to keep nothing.
2: It. They've done nothing in the last four years to actually deal with this problem. In my mind,
3: right? Yeah.
1: Right. The NFL does, but they, you know, they, I think someone gets a concussion every set of downs uh, yeah. in the NFL. So, uh, all right. And then um, let's talk a little bit about the chance, uh, Champions League uh, round of 16 draw. It's going to be March 16th, uh, uh, well, Champions League, uh, Feb 16th to March 17th. So, what do you think of the matchup, guys?
2: Well, Barca PSG.
3: Yeah, it's right, a
1: wonderful Right game.
2: out of the gate is like the, the battle of the monsters. How about you, Sam?
3: Uh, yeah, I think that'll be a good one. I mean, Barca hasn't been great this year. I mean, certainly for history and prestige in the last few years, that'll that'll be a good one. Um, I really, I think Atalanta versus Real Madrid could be very interesting. I mean, Real has been yeah. pretty flaky so far. I mean, they lost both games to Shakhtar Donetsk in the group stage, home and away. Um, you know, there's no question as to whether this Atalanta team will be kept together through the winter transfer window. But if they are, I and even if you know they lose a piece or two, I, I still think they can give Real a good, good run for their money. So I'll I'll be keeping a close eye on that one.
2: Yeah, yeah I mean, talk about
1: that a, a little yeah. bit,
3: uh, Sam. I wanted to ask you about Papa Gomez. What's the story going on with Atalanta there? Yeah, um, so this is a a really sad story because um, Gomez has been their captain and just their inspirational leader for you know, really since he showed up and he was the know, best about, player
1: on the pitch in the uh, the Liverpool game. Man.
3: Yeah. Um, and he's, he really, you know, he was a pretty good player for his whole career in Italy. You know, he was kind of a wide striker who scored maybe eight or 10 goals a season, but mm-hmm. uh, when he got to Atalanta, he really sort of meshed with the system very well and he's very representative of how they play. He kind of just goes wherever he wants on the field uh-huh. and just a fantastic player and just plays with a lot of joy and, um, yeah, it's if he ends up leaving, it's going to be a real shame. He's apparently fallen out with the coach kind of over that position because he likes to be someone who wanders everywhere. And, you know, also understandably, the coach is saying, well, this is a different season. We got games every three days. We're trying to play Champions League and conserve a little bit of energy. And, yeah, so they've had sort of some, you know, some tactical differences maybe, but it, it, I don't know. It doesn't seem enough to me to, to warrant him leaving. But one of the destinations that's been mentioned is um, FC Cincinnati in MLS. Oh, wow. And which again, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I'd like to see him stay at Atalanta and I certainly think he can, he can play at the top level in Europe for a few more years. But I think if he did come to MLS, he'd immediately be one of the, you know, top two or three players. I agree. yeah.
1: He's the type of player that could really be impactful with a team right away, especially MLS, I think. And, mm-hmm. But, you know, Atalanta, we've enjoyed watching them play over the last couple of years, so that'll be a, a shame to miss. Um, TV deals, Ligoon goes up in flames. Grail, oh, what my do you God, got?
2: this was incredible. So Ligoon had a 1.2 billion dollar four four-year deal, $300 million a year with a company called MediaPro. It's actually a Spanish company, but it's backed by Chinese investors. And uh, their bid when they got the contract was 60% higher than the second bid, which should have been a red flag because that's an insane bid. Right. And um, yeah, they've, they've basically not been able to come up with the money and they're they're walking away from the deal um, and you walk away from a deal? I don't get it. Well, you can walk away from it. I'm sure they're going to be sued. But the 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 bigger issue is you, you know all the all the French clubs get a piece of that 300 million, yeah. and now and they're counting on it for running their clubs and getting players and all that stuff. So that money's just dried up. So it's it it could have massive implications for Ligue 1.
3: All right.
1: Yeah,
2: finally,
3: I just wanted to add, we we mentioned Champions League a little bit, but RB Salzburg, Jesse Marsh, drawn against Villarreal in the Europa League round of 32. Uh, I know you guys aren't as excited about this as I am, but I think <laughs> Salzburg have a chance to make a little run here and maybe even get to a final who knows uh that said Villarreal are fourth in La Liga right now and are the favorites to go through so oh ah, we well, I want to hear
1: that because I'm a Jesse Marsh fan I mean he's been on this show before and um he's a great interview a great coach class act and I think um brings a real intellect uh, a passion you know, he's a fighter. It's just, uh, you know, I love watching. And he's got the, the the sky's the limit for him. And I think, you know, we're talking about these coaches now like him and and Caleb Porter that we mentioned earlier. Uh, I think, you know, we're always keyed in on the players that are moving their way up and rightly so, but man, the coaches have something to give and Mm -hmm. um, you know, they're, and they're, they're having as all soccer players here in the United States, we've always had to overcome these preconceived notions of uh, you know, who's the best athlete or what are you playing and why? And the coaches are actually making an an imprint on the world's game. So uh, that's, that's that's good, good stuff. All right. So let's take a break here guys. And we'll come back uh, with our stat guru, Mr. Paul, uh, (laughs) Paul Carr. You're listening to over the ball. Over the Ball is brought to you by Soccer America. Go to SoccerAmerica.com join and sign up for the Soccer America Pro membership. It's just $4.90 a month or $49 a year. And by Ticket IQ, the simplest and cheapest way to buy tickets. Go to TicketIQ.com and when it asks for the promo code, punch in OTB10 for $10 off of your purchase. Can't lose. All right, joining us now on Over the Ball, the stat guru, formerly of ESPN, now probably, I don't know what, running a hedge fund with an abacus somewhere from an undisclosed Midwestern location. No, he's actually the director of content for True Media Network, as well as the host of his own podcast. Yes, there are other podcasts out there. It's titled Expected Value. Welcome back to Over the Ball, our good friend, Paul Carr.
0: Paul, how are you today? I'm doing well, Kevin. Good to talk to you. Good to catch up and talk some soccer.
1: I know, you know, we used to be at ESPN with all the stuff that was happening around there. And now it's just everything's kind of remote now. So you don't have Mm -hmm. to be uh, at the mothership uh, anymore. But I I always like to tell the story about you, Paul. Um, You know, we're at ESPN and you have all the, you know, the Bob Lees and everybody's walking around all the sort of stars of of the, the, the network. And I remember we had Carly Lloyd on. Over the, <laughs> over the, you know what I'm going to say? I, too, right? I know what's coming. Yeah. So Carly Lloyd, she's in the studio and, uh, you know, we're chatting before and people are walking by saying hello to Carly because this is right after the World Cup, the big win. She wrote a book and um, she's like, oh, hi, hi, hi. Everybody's saying hello to her. She's just kind of nonplussed about about everything. All of a sudden you just go, Hey, uh, hi, I'm uh, I'm Paul Carr. She goes, Oh my god, you're Paul Carr. It was like it was like somebody had just seen David
0: Bowie or something. Uh, she, I, I think yeah. I think she said, You're the guy with the stats. You're the guy with the stats. And, so they I uh, mean, because I mean she obviously had an amazing World Cup. So I definitely sent out a lot of Carly Lloyd notes. And I know she I don't know <laughs> whether I tagged her or somebody else would, uh, I know she saw a couple of them that way. So it yeah, well, was, wait, that was wait, a fun wait. moment.
1: You know, way to a woman's heart, it's through their stats, especially a player, you know, it's like, oh yeah, hey, somebody's right. noticing. You got appreciate the numbers that. to make a player look good. They're going to appreciate that for sure. Especially a hardworking midfielder. So uh, mm-hmm. anyway, that was, I, I always enjoyed that moment because it's uh, usually you numbers guys behind the, uh, yeah.
0: behind the big wall, don't get all your props, but she certainly gave it to you. So yeah, that was um, very high on my cool moments at ESPN list.
2: Paul, Paul's kid. like the Steve Kornacki. Of, he yeah, was. Yeah, yes, yeah. exactly. That's a great yes. analogy. Man, yes.
0: I love watching those guys on election night. Just oh, go crazy man. with it. Aren't they great? Uh, it, it's so much fun. Election nights f- from a TV and numbers nerd perspective, like just ignoring what's you know actually happening. But just from a television production numbers nerd, I love it. I'm flipping channels. I'm I thought they were both doing. good. Right, King, oh, John King yeah. and Kornacki yeah, were both they're all, excellent. They're all so yeah. great. They know so yeah. much stuff about every county and important county in every state. So much fun.
1: Paul, that is too bad you're not at ESPN anymore because that would be a great addition to I know everything to the Kornacki board. You used to wear khakis, too. So that was
2: a, I did. You were in. Yeah, you were a khaki-wearing man. I know. I miss well, my now, calling. Now they've got Kornacki on Sunday Night Football. I don't know if you've noticed that. He's yeah. migrated over to the sports part of the, M- of the NBC empire.
0: Yeah, I love the energy he brings. Yeah, yeah I miss my calling for the... No, okay, spi guru or whatever it's not too late i'm gonna give not ESPN a call again you
1: got, you got the numbers in your head the khakis in your closet um, <laughs> i'm set the only problem at espn would be that you're an american and so perhaps you wouldn't get on That's a true. soccer show so yeah i no to problem. have to find the right audience <laughs> okay. all right so um so tell me this let's uh, before you before we get started with talking about mls cup and all these other things i want to talk about talk quickly about um your new gig director of
0: content for true media network what's that uh, what's that about well so especially on the soccer front we work across multiple sports but we basically take all the data so on soccer that's you know type data of touches and passes we're taking all yeah. this these giant files of data that come from every game and we turn them into websites that are easy to use for anybody you know media espn uses it there's 80 some odd soccer teams around the world that use it so so it's, it's basically, you know, like I don't have a computer science degree to be able to pull that data and query what I'm looking for or whatever, Right. but I can use the website really well. So we designed a website that it makes it easy to use and easy to find, you know, just slice and dice the data. I want to see all of this guy's you know touches in a certain area of the field or how many times are these two players connecting or what does this shot map look like now compared to last year, stuff like that. So we basically just take it all and make it easy to use, which is a lot of fun.
1: Wow, that's great. This is right up your alley, man. That's
0: Yeah, good. yeah, it's a good fit.
1: Yeah, it's like the job was created for you. And then mm-hmm. you have your own podcast, Expected Value. What is it, you and a bunch of guys with Coke bottle glasses sitting around to
0: talk? <laughs> yeah, to- this is me talking to people that are a lot smarter than me about what they do in the sports analytics world. So we work, talk to people across multiple sports and, you know, what do you do? Uh, how do you do it? What what's new in the field, things like that. We talked to, you know, recently Mike Petriello's MLB.com researcher and analyst. We've talked to you know, people across a lot of different sports just about how they use data, what what's out there in the analytics field, things like that.
1: Now, oh, very cool. I was glad uh, you, you kind of found, found your calling there. Yeah, um, I always thought you were always undervalued at ESPN. <laughs> you, you were like my star guy on there, and people loved it. Whenever we had you on, we had a lot of, um, you know, a lot of downloads, a lot of hits, so you definitely had your fan base. So, it's good to see that you probably kept up with uh, them, and I hope they know where you are. So, if you don't know where Paul is, that's where he is. The podcast is expected value. All right, so a lot of football going on, a lot of soccer. Um, talk to us a little bit about MLS Cup. Did you uh, do you watch that? Do you have anything for us, numbers-wise? There,
0: oh, you know, I d- just the from a historical standpoint, you know, it was already with all the Seattle stuff about a dynasty, and was, yeah. I think we all thought Seattle was going to. Cruz might be overstating it, but at least win, especially with Nagby and Santos out. But man, Columbus was impressive. Uh, The Caleb Porter stuff is really interesting to me. Now that he's won with two different teams in in the same stadium, strangely enough, but two different teams. Uh, So that's really an interesting thing because the other guys that have won with two teams are Bruce Arena and I'm blanking, uh, Siggy Schmidt, who are, you know, maybe two, probably two of the four Mount Rushmore or so of MLS coaches. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that Caleb Porter's in that breath now, uh, but it's interesting you see the name on the list. You're like, hmm, it, it makes you think. So, And he's obviously very young and has a long way to go. So I, I was just very interested in how he, he took his stuff to Portland, adapted it to Columbus to what Berhalter had left and has changed it and just really got the key players in there. Uh, so, so that was kind of the big picture thing. That was interesting to me, what he has done now with two different teams over a few different years. Yeah, we had Dave Wright on
1: last week. He's the, the chief marketing officer over at U.S. Soccer now. And he played in college with uh, with Caleb Porter. Uh, from Cal- from Kalamazoo, Michigan, by the way, where I played huh? a little pro ball. I've so, been there. Uh, yeah, but he said Caleb was one of the most competitive people he has ever mm-hmm. met. And let me tell you, Dave Wright is one of the most com- competitive people I've ever met. So I, I could imagine those two banging heads in the midfield. So I think he actually, that's that type of player that it transcends into their coaching career. They just yeah. they just want to win. And he sort of, he seems like no uh you know, takes no no guff, sort of thing, and probably runs a pretty tight ship. That's an amazing story, even just just as a franchise with them moving to Austin yeah. and saving it. And uh, and I think that was actually the last game that was going to be played in that stadium.
0: Yeah, I think that's the plan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Have it ready by yeah, next year. They've season. got a
1: new stadium downtown.
0: Yeah, which, all the, which all all the renderings look old. great,
2: which makes us all feel old, right, Grail? Because I remember like it was the I, first. I remember, it was the first soccer specific stadium in MLS. It became. Mm-hmm. I don't want to say it became the model because they just improved on it. It was really kind of like a high school stadium that they built. Yeah. It was aluminum stands. And, but it really, you know, 20, 22,000 capacity, it kind of was a springboard to all the other clubs moving out of the big football stadiums, American right. football and building their own stadiums.
1: The hunt family had a big, uh... Mm -hmm. just my my comment to me is like I just remember when that was like at the brand new stadium we were very proud of it the U.S. men's national team would play there against Mexico a couple times and now it's I guess going to be you know leveled or uh, you know repurposed or whatever but uh we're getting old dude that's part of it so don't have any stats on us Paul (laughs) how slow we move compared to comparatively um So I know the guys have a bunch of questions. Sam, this is right. uh, You know, you two should be having a beer at a bar somewhere. Well, it's COVID time. but We can't do that. But uh, talking numbers. Sam, you got something for Paul?
3: Yeah. Well, first of all, I'm I'm not anywhere near Paul's level. I mean, my observations, you know. (laughs) We have kissed his ass. Yeah, yeah. (laughs)
0: that's enough there.
3: But I do, I do throw out an occasional stat that I've come up with on the show. I may have one for you later. I want to run by you. Um, but first of all, just looking at the MLS season as a whole, um, as I imagine would be a microcosm of how things are going kind of across all leagues, um, you know, what, what is the data telling you about these empty stadiums yeah. and you know, compressed schedules also having to play every three days? Uh, what are some of the trends that we've been seeing?
0: Yeah, I would say, I mean, from what I've looked at, you know, I don't know, half dozen to a dozen different leagues, Almost across the board, the lack of fans results in a slight downtick for home teams. I mean, it's, it's kind of what you would expect. I think it's, a, we're talking about different people, you know, you just figure it'll be a little bit less. Um, right. So just generally speaking, like points are down a little, we're talking in the five to 15% range, which is it's significant. It's not drastic but it's something so you know and uh you know so it's maybe a shot or two less per game it's maybe a foul or two more per game uh for the home team or a foul or two fewer for the road team uh and it's you know a a tenth or two three tenths of a point less per game which is something especially over the Mm -hmm. course of a season um you know why that is I think there's a lot of possibilities. I mean, the one, there was a study in Italy for, I want to say it was around 07, because one team shockingly had misbehaving fans. They played by an empty stadiums for a while, blah, blah, blah. And they kind of concluded that referee bias was less toward the home team because of the lack of fans. And I think there've been studies in other sports that prove kind of similar things. So I think that's a part of it. It's uh, just kind of this subconscious bias and not, again, not saying the refs are, doing a bad job they're just human and when you have 20 to 50,000 fans screaming at you it's going to be different yeah. so i think that's part of it and so everything just broadly speaking it seems to be down a tick or two from what you would see for the home teams which and and we see this in other sports we've seen in the NFL you can look in line spreads uh how you know instead of that three points for home field it's you know two one even close to zero some places so it's just that little bit of difference without the fans that i think we're seeing across pretty much all leagues and all sports yeah, you got
1: them shouting at you and the cops right. you not you not you know it could it's worth a a call or two at least I would imagine. Um mm-hmm. Bill.
2: Yeah, uh Paul, it's great having you with us. I I just love this type of stuff. Um looking globally at the leagues um and I'm I'm a pretty heavy EPL watcher. Same. Um yeah. coming right out of the gate there were goals galore. I mean, it was like the EPL was exploding on goals yeah. every every match you know Leeds was winning four two or somebody (laughs) was drawing three all Uh and i think i think everybody of course as they do the pundits just rushed to conclusions like oh my god this is the new epl and then as soon as they said that like over the last four to six weeks the goals have gone way down at least that's my impression what are you what are you what are you finding across the leagues in terms of how the goal scoring has gone since the start of the season.
0: Yeah. I had the same impression, especially in the premier league. So yeah, I looked at it. So over the first five match days of the season, so month or so, uh, 3.6 goals per game, which is a lot. I think an average season is usually 2.7 ish total goals per game. So we're at 3.6 over the first five match days. Uh, and since then only 2.4. So in the, what are we, seven match days since or whatever it is, only 2.4. Um, now the question of course, why is that? Um, it's hard to say. I have a couple of theories. There were a lot there were more penalties early. That mm-hmm. was something cuz the new the new VAR rules in England which they're still kind of a mess and they're trying to figure out. So so that was something. There were just more penalties,
2: especially um, handball.
0: Yeah, exactly. Most of them the handball. Yeah. Um, the finishing rate was up. Like they were I think the nor- the normal number of shots that is turned into goals is uh, about 1 out of 10 you know, roughly speaking. And it was like, instead of 10 or 12%, it was like 16 to 18% over those first few match days. So to me, that just suggests everybody's running hot, you know, and there are, why is that? I don't know. It could be, I mean, my theory, one would be that the defenses didn't have training and yeah. one is in sync. I don't, I don't know if and there's goal, something And I think goalkeeping has yeah. actually improved. Yeah. 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 Over the something last there. Yeah. yeah. Everyone finds the rhythm. Yeah, so, that you know, you gel a little
1: bit, so you tighten up defensively. But don't you think part of it has to be maybe
0: fresh and now they're tired mm-hmm. because of the amount of games they're playing? I think it just you – know, Yeah, I think anyone who's watched, you know, if you have your favorite team, you've probably seen, especially if they're in Champions League. So they're playing, like, you know, three games in eight days a lot. Right. Um I think, like, I think in, look, I look at it like, like, Atalanta was, came out of the gate and they were just banging goals in all over the place. And Champions League started and they're playing two. And they're, you know, they're not a super deep team because they don't have the resources of Juventus right. or Milan or whatever. And i watched a lot of their games and you can just see, like, it just drops. They're not pressing as much. Mm-hmm. Um, again, p- part of it's because their top guys aren't there or because their top guys are playing three times in a week.
2: When you're tired, your finishing goes down. It's just it's not only a physical thing, it's a mental thing. Or
1: mm-hmm.
2: yeah. you're just a little a little less sharp, you know. Yep. I think if everybody's
1: tired, it's easier to defend than it is to because you just sort of hunker down as opposed yeah. to get, you know, get up there, get creative and um you know, make these runs. So um, you know, Sam?
3: Yeah, uh, building off that, Paul, are there any numbers suggesting what this all has done to the quality of play on the field and the intensity? Uh, I mean, I think it's you can look and sort of think that guys maybe aren't as into it, but d- is there anything that backs that up?
0: I haven't dived into it. I mean, I would think you might be able to do, to do, to do something from, you know, just the, simply the number of passes per game mm-hmm. or how often teams are pressing, especially in their own attacking third and counter pressing things along those lines. I haven't dived into it, but I would expect it's down a little, you know, that's just anecdotal from, from watching the games. It seems like, you know, take Liverpool that they're not pressing as hard and as high as they did for a lot of last season. And that makes sense, especially this time of year, as they just got through the group stage and they're gearing up for, you know, what seems like 20 games in three weeks during the holiday break, so to speak. Uh, So I, I haven't looked at the numbers. That's what I would expect to find if I did dive in.
2: Yeah, I mean Liverpool Liverpool also doesn't have the players on the pitch who are doing the pressing. They have right. they have so many injuries right. that you're throwing, you know, inexperienced people into the system. Yep. And I just think you have to if you're a coach or a manager, you probably have to like pull back a little bit because mm-hmm. to expect them to be able to replicate what Virgil van Dyke or you know, Alexander Arnold or whoever right. does is 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 pretty difficult.
0: Yep. And that's going to keep coming, you know, as some of these domestic cups get going after the new year, they're still going to have champions league for the top teams. Uh, It won't be quite as congested, I don't think, but it's, I guess really, from what I've seen, it's not going to ease up much looking at the fixture schedule.
1: I mean, you look at a Liverpool, they're at the top of the the table. Yeah. They're still there. No, they're still there with all the injuries they've had. And, uh, you know, it, I think it sometimes speaks to the unfairness of a league where you know the teams like that can just dominate. You got they have about eight guys that are injured. They do press. Maybe that plays a part in it. The amount of games they play plays a part in it. But they have a deep, deep bench, and that seems like an mm-hmm. unfair advantage sometimes because we, you know, all had to play through injury. But um, there they are, all their battles, and they're still at the top of the league. So, yep.
0: and, and I think the importance yeah. of you know. It, it just ch- it changes the game. It's like you said, like Liverpool is playing a different game basically than West Ham is. You know, for, they have to have more players. They have to rely more on whether it's the academy, whether it's bringing players in, whatever it is. Uh, it speaks to the importance of all that. And yeah, it's just it's a completely unlevel playing field, which is you know kind of the way it is. And yeah. every team's got to adapt to that in different ways.
1: Well, it's tough for Americans to understand that sometimes, but uh, <laughs> you know, Liverpool's not playing like Liverpool. Basically, <laughs> they're playing in a different way, but they're they're winning. Grail- they're still in first, yeah.
2: Yeah, this is kind of an esoteric question, Paul, is, you know, data in a, in a unique season like this, I'm just wondering if data um, takes on a greater role or a lesser role, because, you know, if, if you're an arsenal and you're struggling, mm-hmm. you know, you're in 16th position, you're not used to that, you know, is data going to get you out of that struggle or can data become actually kind of a hindrance to freeing you up? to playing the way you need to play to get back to where you are. I'm just, I'm just curious what your Mm -hmm. take is on that. Yeah. I
0: feel like, I feel like it's kind of both sides in a sense. I think the data can maybe help you pinpoint things maybe a little bit faster. Sometimes, you know, if, you know, every team will have its own KPIs, their key performance indicators and like, Hey, we're not, whatever it is, complete enough passes in this area of the field, not enough sprints, something like that. And I think sometimes, you know, you can just look at one game and say, we're way down in this, or we're trending the wrong way in this. And that can be something uh, I, and then on the flip side, I think there there's a danger in these small sample sizes with all the variables we've talked about, COVID injuries, no preseason, congested schedule. Uh, so you gotta be a little bit careful in what you're doing with it. Like what is the cause of this going down? That's always the question. You know, we talked about the home field advantage dropping and we think, that's because of the fans, but there could also there could be lots of different reasons that could contribute to it. Uh, so, so that's the challenge I think that's always tricky to tease out, and that's why you know these top teams have these data scientists and mm-hmm. and analytics people who can try and look at all these things, and they can dive even deeper and see. Okay, we know it's not this, or it could be this, or, or things along those lines.
1: Right. And they've had success with it. You know, I mean, one of the reasons Mm -hmm. I got into soccer was it was, I didn't think it was data driven. I just thought, you know, nobody's calling plays RBIs, you know, ERAs, all that stuff, you know, all the baseball stuff that we have in America. But uh, here it is. A lot of this, this data does paint a Mm -hmm. picture of what a particular player or team does Um, that the numbers don't lie.
0: Yeah. And one thing I think teams are relying a little bit more, this is my sense anyway, from kind of indirectly dealing with teams is, uh, so they can't scout as much on the road. You know they can't send guys to. You know, if you're Liverpool, for example, you can't send scouts to every Dutch league game, the second Bundesliga, whatever. So, uh, you know, they get video and and stuff relatively easily. But the data can often point you to players. And you know, the best teams are using. They're coming at it together. They're using scouting and and data together to identify you know potential recruit recruitments and stuff like that. Um, so I think the data, it does help. It's a little bit of a shortcut in this sense where you can, you know, here's the kind of player we're looking for. You figure out how to quantify it and then figure out how to look at these other leagues that uh, maybe you can't get a scout to as easily as you used to be able to little money ball. Sam, yeah.
1: you're you're eating this stuff up every week Sam has a couple of these questions for us that he you know he makes
3: up and finds and does uh you know investigations. so Sam you got to be loving this. Yeah, totally. Uh and building off that Paul, I'm curious, you know, as someone who follows MLS, you know, we're always trying to gauge kind of where we are and you're talking about, you know, players in different leagues and how you rate mm-hmm. someone who's in the Dutch league who scores 10 goals versus someone yeah. who scores 5 goals in Serie a. I mean, what are what are some of the ways teams do that? I mean, how do they sort of quantify mm-hmm. and make up I've for that? talked
0: to a lot of team people and data people about this. And it's, I don't know that it's the holy grail of soccer data, but it's a big thing everyone tries to work on. And they're all very understandably kind of coy about how they're doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, the general approach is, I think, relatively straightforward. You look at, you know, whatever, Josie Altavar scored 30 goals in the Dutch mm-hmm. League. Um, you know, there's basically some sort of scale. Like, all right, if you're doing that in this league, which has this scoring environment, that equates to this in a different league, which has a lower scoring environment. Uh, there may be a factor just for well, lax defending or whatever it might be. So, I mean, in, in some ways it's simple. You can almost just take a fraction or something or or a multiplier to translate it. But there's so much more to it than that, obviously, because there's style of play. Um, so a lot of teams will look at past transfers between the leagues and see how those go the challenge there of course is it's a generally it's going to be a small sample size you know how many players have come to whatever mls from Colombia? Mm-hmm. not a whole lot and generally the ones you're going to try to get are going to do well because they're better players and, um, so it's a big challenge um, and there's not one right answer that I'm aware of, but every team is trying to do it as best they can using some sort of scale that adapts between leagues and combination combine that with kind of past transfers and past performance that you've seen. Yeah.
3: And just building on that really quickly, I I hear a lot of people, a lot of writers, pundits, you know, say the MLS is sort of at the level of the championship, you know, the second division in England, essentially. Do you, do you kind of agree with that based on what you've seen?
0: I think so. I mean, you know, you've got, C- clearly ahead of MLS, you've got what? Your top five leagues in Europe. You probably have League MX, Brazil, Argentina. So you've got like eight that are probably clearly ahead. And then it gets messy because you look at the Dutch league or Portugal and, you know, there's whatever, two to five teams in those leagues, those top two that are clearly better than MLS. You know, your mm-hmm. Portos, your Ajaxes, things like that. Yeah. But those bottom f- 10 mm-hmm. are pretty clearly not. So like, is that league better than MLS? maybe, I don't know. And how are we defining better leagues, sort of thing? Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, I think, and, and uh, so yeah, I'd say MLS is, you know, the clue below those top eight to 10 leagues. And then there's that mishmash of 10 ish and depending on to me how you want to define it, MLS is in there somewhere. They're in the, So I, I like to look at it a little more as tiers than try and rank them because you know, you, you get into the individual ranking it's, and it, there's a lot of personal preference and and opinion or whatever, but yeah, to me, MLS is, pretty solidly somewhere in that second tier, depending on how you're defining the best leagues.
1: Yeah. And I think moving up with a bullet really, because mm-hmm. just, you know, we were talking about it in the opening of the show. Uh, I thought the play was the, the level of play uh, over the years has, has definitely mm-hmm. risen and, and the the caliber of player. Um, Grail.
2: Yeah. Paul baseball is the quintessential game of matchups. Yeah. Right. It's all about, you know, the manager being given information to know that Paul Carr does not hit as well against lefties. Blah blah blah. blah right. Yep. In in soccer, so- soccer is much more of a team sport, right? Where you're mm-hmm. relying on everybody to kind of pull pull their weight. But uh, are matchups? Do you think becoming more a part of the game from a managerial standpoint, in terms of how a Jamie yeah. Vardy might match up against the center back of another team? You know, I mean, certain players are yeah. going to play anyway. But I'm just curious.
0: From from what I've seen. It's a little broader. It's more of a matchup from a style or a team standpoint, which, you know, frankly, isn't that from a data standpoint, isn't that much different than a, you know, just general observation standpoint. This team is very vulnerable to counterattacks yeah. or uh, things like that. So, you know, I know a lot of teams will they'll look at the data and, and they like to see where does this team's opponents, where do they create their chances? Where do their shots come from? Uh, does there seem to be a particular hole on this flank or that flank or, uh, where do they give the ball up a lot? You know, they give it up in a certain side, a certain third of the field, something like that. So I, I think it tends to be a little more matchup uh, from a style perspective. You can try yeah. to use the numbers just like you use your eyes to find the weaknesses and then figure out, okay, well, can we be good at that? Uh, you know, they're vulnerable on set pieces at the near post. Okay, well, let's, you know, use those plays that we have, um, That that sort of thing. So And so the player match, to me, at least the player matchups come into that. You know, are they weak on the left side because the left back is slow or something like that? Yeah. Um, So that's what I've seen, at least, just from from dealing with the teams. There's a lot of matchup stuff, and it's a little broader at the team level. Sam? Yeah,
3: um, Paul, I'm curious. You know, it seems like data is pretty much here to stay in all sports, but uh, do you get any pushback from anybody? Are there any teams or individuals in particular who are are very anti-data kind of?
0: Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, might, if we're on the, I'll use baseball as an example. So you know, we we contract with about twenty MLB teams, and so there's obviously you know ten we don't have, and usually that though is because they just want to do it internally. And I would say over the last five ish years, you know, there were a couple teams that were kind of holding out, didn't have an analytics staff that was as broad in scope as most teams, and but even those teams have come around. You know, we pick up a couple teams the last couple of years that are. finally getting on board is overstating it, but they're just committing to it a little bit more. Um, Soccer is a little bit different because you have such a disparity in finances. Mm. So, you know, if you look at, we'll just say the Premier League and again, teams are very private about these things, but we know your Liverpools, your cities, your arsenals have, uh, Arsenal, maybe not the best example right now, but have these uh, broad analytics staffs that do a Mm. lot of stuff. And it trickles down, just tends to get a little smaller, but even like Manchester United is a notoriously, I don't know if anti analytics is correct, but absent of analytics a lot and they have all the money and still don't do it. So, I mean, generally speaking, it's, it trickles down and, and teams, you know, someone like I'm just picking a team like Brighton, maybe as analytically inclined as Liverpool, they just don't have the budget to hire five data mm-hmm. scientists. They have one guy and he's also a part-time scout or something like that. Yeah. Uh, so I think, I don't think the buy-in – I mean, generally, the buy-in is there, and it's a matter of finances for – especially in Europe, where you have the big disparity of teams.
1: You're talking about specialists, too. I think Liverpool has a throw-in special – you know, yeah. which was a, a new thing. But if you think about it, it's like a dead ball situation, and there's right. advantages to be held. Um, and Paul's yep. right
0: into your, your line of work, Paul. Uh, yeah. I and mean, we saw it when Liverpool played uh, Barcelona in the Champions League uh, what, a couple years ago, and they yep. had that quick corner. Mm-hmm. And they scored that goal to beat Barcelona. And that wasn't uh, – you know, I don't know if that was a corner kick coach doing it, but they were at least aware. Right. They were and, aware
2: was, that Barca was not organized mm-hmm. on corners. Yep.
0: Right. Yeah. yeah. That's what a coach like that, who is that honed in on every, one specific aspect, that's the advantage. That's a very extreme example, yeah. obviously. Yeah. But that can add up over the course of a season on something like throw-ins.
2: So, the, so Paul, there's a, a debate on going to the five subs rule because of all the injuries. Yeah. And there are a lot of people moaning that it uh, that it unfairly benefits the bigger clubs because they just have more depth. Any thoughts about that?
0: Yeah. That That was definitely my first thought was, yeah, yeah the big clubs have more depth. There's going to be less of a drop off. Um, I've seen a few studies. I don't, I haven't seen anything definitive, but there are some stuff suggesting that, you know, in some ways it helps the smaller clubs just in the sense that, um, you know, if I'm subbing out Sergio Aguero, Mm -hmm. anybody you bring in is going to be significantly worse. Uh, Whereas if I'm whatever, subbing out a starting forward at, for the 18th place club in the premier league, he's the drop off. The difference actually isn't that drastic. Mm -hmm. Um, So I haven't seen anything definitive and, you know, it might take a long time before we really have something just from a sample size standpoint. But I think there's a case, I, reading that opened my eyes because I thought exactly what you said. It just it, That's the logical thing. But I, mm-hmm. I think there's a case, again, I, I don't think we've proven anything, but I think there's a case that it doesn't hurt the small clubs as much as we might think uh, just because they don't have the wide gaps in talent from the very best to even average sort of drop off. Mm-hmm.
3: All right, Sam, do you have another question before we wrap it up here? with the? Yeah, well, yeah, I guess it's a question. I can't you know, miss the opportunity to try and throw out a couple stats that I've come up with. And yeah. uh, they're not necessarily new stats, but um, as someone who follows other sports, and especially hockey very closely, mm-hmm. uh, I'm curious first if – I'm sure they keep track of this, but I wonder why it's not more pronounced, which is plus-minus – especially now with five subs when there's more turnover in game. Is that something that's looked at kind of behind the scenes?
0: It's there. Um, I mean, it's something like on our sites that teams can access and and do from time to time. I haven't heard of it being used broadly. Uh, I think there's just plus minus in any sport is just can be kind of noisy you know so-and-so's mm-hmm. plus minus hockey i know one thing you always have to work through well it's plus minus is good because he's always on the power play or yeah. you know, mm-hmm. he doesn't kill penalties or something mm-hmm. like that um so there's some similar stuff in soccer where well your plus minus is bad because they throw you on when you're up a goal mm-hmm. and more likely to concede or something like that um sure. so it's a it's a thing i think uh a lot of times teams will slice it even further okay what's your plus minus uh, when you're ahead or something like that, do you tend to extend the lead or 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 lose a goal, something like that? Uh, so it's it's a thing. I don't think it's super popular. I think it's often almost a component of other things that teams are looking at. Well, so don't, that, you, don't you
2: don't I'm sorry, but don't you also think that the more players, right, or the fewer players you have on right. uh, on a, a field of play, the more yeah. the plus minus factors in because you play more of a role yep. than if you're one of eleven versus one of. Right six okay. or yep. five yeah. or whatever yeah.
0: yeah just the pure math of it all yeah you know a forward you know a forward on a, a lower a forward on fulham is gonna have a much worse plus minus than a forward on man city mm-hmm. um how much of that's his fault that's the yeah, challenge that, that people have that to figure to, out that used to
1: drive me crazy when i played in the indoor league because i hated the plus minus thing because i would defend on the power play with a man down situation so that right. would go against me you know and then even like the one stat we had in the indoor league which was blocked shots and i used to say well as a defender you should, your man shouldn't receive the ball first and foremost. And if, right. he, and if he does, you don't let him turn. And if he does turn, you force him to the outside. So he, if you're doing your job, he's not going to get a shot off. So yep. the shot off is maybe a tertiary concern, you know, yeah. so like you shouldn't be leading in, in block shots, but that was yeah. the stat we had. But I, I've got to say over the years and, you know, talking to you, getting to know you and, and um, watching how it is impactful and can really help like a team like Liverpool with, you know, mm-hmm. using these stats, how, it's soccer has really uh come around do you think it was an american influence on the world's game uh were we the ones who were doing this
0: stuff first Uh, i don't don't feel like it came into uh mls example more or before it came into the european leagues i would i mean if i'm guessing i would think germany was probably at the forefront of things Mm -hmm. uh which, you know, just kind of makes sense. The German mm-hmm. mindset, very analytical things along those lines. Very uh, organized. Yeah. 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 I mean, they're all cliches, and, but they all kind of have, they come from a kernel of truth. They work. Uh, so, so yeah, so that's kind of my impression. And then it's it spread across into, you know, England at the top, at least relatively soon. So yeah, I would say, I don't think MLS was ahead of the curve in that sense. I, I do think MLS accepted it more easily accepted numbers in general it, the challenge is just finances you know not every team can afford right. to hire two or three or four or five analytics type people like a, a premier league club might be able to so that's the challenge i think the buy-in and just the american mindset again like you said from baseball and other sports is more open to data uh, i just don't think the the finances and even some of the data itself wasn't there as quickly in europe
1: yeah, that's it. You know, follow the money, I guess is what you're saying. Exactly. I mean,
3: yeah. If the money's there, they'll, they'll hire them. Sam, before we go Yeah, add? so no, no one liked my plus minus idea, it seems like. But uh, my, other, my <laughs> other suggestion also comes from hockey. Um, and I know this is somewhat kept track of with things like key passes, but I really mm. think a secondary assist yeah. would be something that would be worth keeping track of. I'm yep. sure they do, but I'd like to see that more pronounced. Yeah. And I would also, building off that, I like that in hockey, if you take a shot, that the goalie can't handle, and he spills it, and then your teammate bangs it, and that that also mm-hmm. counts for an assist.
0: Right. Yeah, you get credit for the whatever power or putting the shot uh, in a tough place to save. Yeah. So the I've, passing thing is definitely something that uh, both data companies and teams are looking at. Um, it's often some some sort of a pass value metric. So you know the the top clubs and a company like Opta will have basically a value for every pass, usually as it's kind of contributing to goal. So you pass the ball from midfield to the top of the box. You're not getting the assist, but it it puts you in a much better scoring position. So there's some value to that. So that's Mm -hmm. definitely something that teams look at because especially, you know, your central midfielders, your, your sixes, they're never going to have the gaudy assist numbers or even the chances created numbers. But what they will have is that pass before the pass or the pass before the pass before the pass that puts somebody else in a good position to uh, score or create something like that. So the pass value thing is definitely a thing. don't, it's not as commonly used from a public standpoint just because a lot of the models are proprietary, but that's definitely something teams are always looking to quantify those positions and roles that cannot be captured by traditional goals, assists, even chances created types of stats. And, and I'd say and more,
1: more than any other position in the soccer field, I think center midfielder is the mm-hmm. position where like all those intangibles that you can't quite, you know, yeah really rapid yeah this
0: is a your xavi type of p- position right. how many yeah. balls did xavi play through to a guy on the wing who then crossed it into messi who tapped it in you know that right. kind yeah. of thing
2: well that's the thing too paul stylistically it would vary mm-hmm. greatly from a liverpool that might yeah. take 3 passes to go all the way up the pitch and score versus city who might have 12 passes yep the lead to a goal. And it all depends on what style they're playing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's another challenge with the soccer numbers is uh, what are you doing from a style standpoint? Exactly. So you might have a lot fewer passes completed than this guy on that team. That's cause your team doesn't have the ball. Your team plays more mm-hmm. directly, whatever it might be. That's a big challenge because dealing with raw counting numbers is it just depends on how your team attacks and approaches and does or doesn't mm-hmm. have the ball, et cetera. All right. Well, great stuff, Paul. We always love having we can, you on. I'm we can uh, talk forever. I know. Yeah. It's been
1: a long time. These uh usually my eyes just glaze over with the uh, with the numbers <laughs> talk. But every time you're on, I, I I'm looking for a number two pencil
0: and j- talking about maybe hiring a note-taking service. So, <laughs> all right. Uh, I didn't even get to wave my American flag about all the Americans in Champions League, which I think I'm I'm sure you've talked about. It's just a wonderful thing to see all the the young kids playing for all these big clubs in the best competition.
1: It really is. We talk about it. We usually lead the show off with some of that, uh, that stuff. And y- you know, it ultimately always comes down to the U S men's national team and how we mm-hmm. will perform a- on a world stage. And yeah. it's very encouraging for all of it's us. So, so you got to come back when the U S national team starts to play again and yeah. uh, try to qualify. Uh, Cause you always have some great, uh, great stuff.
0: Yeah. On Next year is going to be so wild with Olympic qualifying. We hope the Olympics and nations league and gold cup and qualifying I don't envy Greg Berhalter and company trying to sort out roster availability and all that, but it's going to be fun. And we won't end the Olympics on the women's side as well. It's just, it's going to be a, a big gluttonous feast of soccer over the next year. That's great. We deserve it because there's been a big hole for a (laughs) long time here. So, and then with the
1: COVID stuff, so hopefully we'll get through it. He's the director of content for True Media Network. and He has his own podcast, Expected Value. Listen to it. You know, you said something, you go, uh, my data and analytic driven friends, we all talk. I I just, I kind of,
0: I envision this sort of Star Wars bar. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. (laughs) It'd be great. everyone brings
0: in your own nerdy backgrounds and and abilities and and job descriptions and yeah Uh, that's that's a decent way to envision it i like it
2: all right
1: well great paul it's great having you on we appreciate you helping us make sense of all these numbers things Uh, we'll talk to you again on over the ball
0: you bet sounds good thanks kevin
1: hey remember to tweet us at over the ball like us on facebook and instagram and write a review in fact make us one of your favorites it makes a big difference Always great talking to Paul. Guys, I just, uh, I know you guys, we all eat it up, but it's just so so fun. We could talk to him forever.
2: Yeah. I mean, data, it's funny because I have a love-hate relationship with data. I've had to deal with it in my whole professional career. But when you talk to Paul, it just gets your mind going. I mean, it's so interesting.
3: I think the most difficult thing with data is just presenting it in an accessible Mm -hmm. way, which he really does. I mean, it can be very overwhelming if someone's just you know, th- throwing acronyms at you and percentages, and you have no yeah. idea what they mean. Um, but I think he does a really good job of sort of explaining how, what it looks like to a viewer like. Right. And, Luss, and that's the example. talent
1: that he has, which is. Uh you know, he kind of makes fun of himself, but he explains it in a way that someone like myself can sort of understand and be passionate about. Like, wow, you know, that's that's very, very cool. And I think we've come up with a new gig for him. He definitely should be on air doing the Steve Kornacki thing.
2: Oh, man. Soccer, get the khakis. Uh,
1: NBC, get, get on it. <laughs> Call Paul Carr and uh, get him on those morning broadcasts. It'd be a great way to get an American on there as well with Tim Howard. So, yeah.
3: Uh, Another one I didn't throw out because I didn't want to overwhelm you guys with hockey stuff. But I, I think... I would like to see soccer keep track of you know odd man situations like three on twos, four on threes, because I think the teams that are creating those opportunities are it's indicative of how they're playing. Yeah, so right. It's spur, all triangles, mean, sp- right? All the yeah, well, are,
2: yeah, counterattacking yeah. teams like Wolves and Spurs are mm-hmm. uh, really can exploit those situations well.
1: Yeah, well, I don't think. Wait a minute, I don't think so because a counterattack is sort of more of a break and a through ball. Um, I think Sam, you're talking about the small uh, link up play that sort of a, that sort of a, um, uh, you know, Mane and, and Salah kind of all put together there in those tight spaces.
3: Well, I think it can be both. I mean, a counterattack can be just a ball over the top and one guy runs onto it, or it can be, you know, a quick three on two. Um, But I think it's a real skill, you know, for a team to be able to create, you know, the numerical superiority that you need for those situations and, I just think it's indicative of how a game is going and how well mm-hmm. you're playing, because to get in those situations, you need either to you know beat someone on a dribble or, you know, get someone forward with a pass that's going forward. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I think they're worth yeah. keeping track of.
1: Hey, Sam, um, I enjoyed that article you sent on the Italians complaining that you can, say different things to different referees in different countries.
3: Yeah. So this is Gennato Gattuso, who's now the coach of Napoli, who I'm sure yeah. you guys remember as a player. And uh, he's, you know, he's had a pretty good run at Napoli as a coach. And anyway, yesterday in the Inter-Napoli game, his captain Lorenzo Insigne got sent off basically for telling the ref to fuck off after a penalty call that, I, you know, I think was a good call. I, I don't <laughs> think it was a bad call, but um, anyway, he got sent off and Gattuso after the game came out and basically said, this only happens in Italy in England, uh, for example, and in Scotland where he played, he said you can basically tell the ref to do whatever you want um, after a dubious true, do penalty. No,
2: I, I disagree with that. I think that's a, I mean, if you went up to one of the top refs in England and said, go F yourself, I, I just don't think that that's going to be tolerated.
1: I've told every player on the field to fuck off. Well, of course. Well, that's, that's
2: that's as have I, but that's different.
1: And uh, but you can't. I think I think in the Premier League they do it, but they're walking away, and it's not. You know, I mean, it's almost like that baseball rule where if you face the the umpire and say it right to his face, they'll they'll toss you. Um, it you
2: kind know. of reminds me of when um, when Suarez bit the guy year uh, when he was playing for Uruguay. He bit the Italian guy Sam. You would know his name, the guy. Ileni, he yeah. And then the Uruguayan manager tried to somehow defend defend it afterwards. Like it was an overreaction to the biting or something. I'm like, come on.
1: Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I just have, you know, when I played. I mean, he the- just took
2: a chunk out of his shoulder. Come on. What's a yeah. big deal?
1: I just do have a little caveat with this whole conversation. I remember playing in Canton, Ohio. And uh, it was the Paxos brothers that owned the team there. And they sort of were the 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 most deep pockets in the league. And so we always felt the referees were in their in their pocket, you know? And so I mean, a kid came over the ball on me or something. And I looked at the referee and I, I go, I go, what the fuck? Come on, man. I was over the ball, over the top of the ball. He goes, he goes, looks at me and goes, go fuck yourself. Flynn. I was like, whoa, <laughs> man, the referee looked right at me. There you go. go fuck myself. So, all right. I'm giving a little, well, there are
3: to just, it, you know, talking about italy there is a rule that you're not allowed to you know say anything blasphemous on the field they had a guy get you know a ban last year for saying something blasphemous so there there's some some old-fashioned rules don't say anything about said, jesus christ so you
2: can't say jesus yeah. christ um I mean, I guess mother mary not. or maradona my god
3: or maradona <laughs> yeah. that was
1: that would be the things we had a uh, a russian exchange student in my high school and he was he was magic he was a good player but he could barely speak any English. And, and he, of course, unfortunately starts leaning on me to help him out. And, and he, he points to the referee and we're just doing a scrimmage. And he goes, how, how, how say that? How say, and I, he points to the referee. I go, uh, fuck you. And he goes, oh, okay. And he, he looks so sweet. Looks at the guy and goes, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> he, got, he got a red card. nice Simon Ostrom. He went on to play at UMass, Sam. Nice. Nice. Yeah, yeah.
3: So, uh, okay, you got a quiz for us before we get going here. Yeah, I do have a quiz for you guys. The first question is just sort of a broad question. Uh, I'm curious the about abroad. Then I would, yeah. if you guys know if people in England actually refer to the Premier League as the EPL.
2: I don't think they do. No, the
3: Prem. I think they call it the Premiership. Okay, so that's that's purely an American concern. I'd, I've never heard it well, outside I, of this country, but I don't know.
2: It was, you know, when Bar- Barclays, it, a lot of people refer to it as the Barclays Premier League, going back a few years, mm-hmm. and then I think it's been shortened pretty much to the Premier League or the Premiership. That's the that's kind of what I hear from people.
3: Okay, so it's an NBC Sports like American yeah,
2: well, construction.
1: Well, I think they, they rebranded it,
3: right?
2: Yeah. They
1: rebranded
3: it when they became the Premier League, I guess. Yeah,
1: um, and I think people do call it a lot of different things. So.
3: Uh, okay. So the real, the real question this week, um, we're talking with Paul obviously about stats and uh, yeah. So Leicester city famously won the premier league in 15, 16, despite having less than 50% possession percentage for the season, they were at 44.7, which wow. is the only time that's happened since they started keeping track. It's called um, 40 at the far end, uh, just with his wheels. Ex- yeah. Uh, so I looked into the champions league numbers, um, which are only kept back to 2009-2010 uh, on whoscored.com. But I'm wondering, in that time, if you can tell me how many teams have won the Champions League with less than 50% possession uh, for the entire tournament. Wow. How many teams? How many teams?
2: I'm going to say three.
3: I'm going to say two. Okay, two is correct. Can you I'm name not... either of the teams?
2: Know, Flynn he's going to have no fucking clue. <laughs>
3: Oh, we're I'm dropping F bombs
1: on my, the other Pardon bo- my friend, <laughs> I'm I'm sorry. I think Excuse Sam me. opened up the floodgates with uh, the I'm sorry. Right? I'm sorry for all the kids uh, out
2: there. Uh, I would. I Jesus. It's got to be a defensive-minded team,
1: right? So probably an Italian team.
2: Well, didn't that Greek team win it one year? Didn't uh, Panathinaikos or no, uh, mm, not Olympiacos? No. no, I was thinking the Greek national team because they played a very defensive style. Yeah. Um, Well, one,
3: I feel like I got to go with
2: one's got to be an Italian team.
3: Okay. That's all you're giving me. No, no,
2: no. I'm going to go with, I'm going (laughs) to go with inter.
3: Okay. Kevin, anything to add? Nothing. Okay. Okay. Well, you're both sort of right. Okay. So Inter in 2009, 2010, with Mourinho's coach won the. That Champions makes total sense. Champions yeah. 44.6 percent poss- uh, possession for the tournament, and the other team you should have got this, Grail, was Chelsea in 2011, 2012. Another Mourinho team. No, that was um, when Di uh, Di Matteo was the. Kid
2: oh, okay. Okay.
3: With 47.6 percent. How do How do you, how do you say think? that coach's
1: name, Grail?
2: Di Matteo.
3: There you go. It's kind of close.
2: <laughs> that was good, Sam. Di
3: Mateo. It's good enough.
2: Di yeah, there
3: Di Di good
2: day. All right. Good stuff, guys. I, I like the way Sam always says. Uh, Sam always says Inter. Inter. no it just kind of fades out it's great he's in like inter, inter well funny thing i was giving
3: you grief earlier for saying the wolves but it's funny in italy in italian you always say the article before a team name so it's yeah. like the fiorentina the juventus oh. and i i used to write for this um like english language magazine in florence and i would write about fiorentina and the editor would always take my articles and add in a the before fiorentina every time i did it oh, and i had to cultural you know, then yeah, I had to explain that. So, Flinny should take this
2: podcast over to Italy. Yeah, exactly. To yeah. be correct. <laughs> yeah.
3: Who is it? Oh, Sam, what, what, the would field, over the
2: ball, what would over the ball be in Italian, Sam?
3: Uh, sopra la palla. Not bad. There we go. Sopra la palla. <laughs> sopra la palla. sopra la palla.
1: All right. For sopra la palla, everyone. I'm Kevin Flynn. That's Grail Hallett and Sam Griswold. I'd like to thank our guest, Paul Carr. Uh, we'll talk to you next time on OTB.